Good day, friends. Welcome to the Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. I'm your host, Elcio Eber, transformational author, speaker, and life coach. Allow me to be a guide as you discover your higher self and your magic within. Good day, Mark, and thank you for joining me on Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm more than happy to have you. I hope I'll be able to have you come back again a couple of times. Anytime. Oh, great. Super, super awesome. My intention for asking you on the show today was just basically you and I have met as client and tennis professionals perspective, get with lessons and support, and that became a friendship. And then I started getting advice from you on running and we kind of go for a couple of runs around Green Lake and so forth. And I've always felt it was very easy for me to speak to you Beyond you being a client of mine, I saw you as a person and connected with who you were within. And I felt a relationship sort of built from that inner connection that we, we felt comfortable talking to each other as, as men and, and as, as humans. And that's the perspective I would like to sort of have a little bit of those, some of those conversations and just sort of thank you for those moments that we did have and kind of refresh what some of them were for me. Yeah, I very much enjoyed them too. It's what's odd to me, Elcio, is is how infrequently those types of conversations happen. It's all it's kind yeah. of sad to me. We get so socialized into being so careful around everyone. You almost have to remind yourself to kind of let go and be really present to the person that you're communicating with, and it's. It's really wonderful when it happens. It's just, I wish it would happen more often. No, very true. And, you know, because it's in that sense of how do you step back and be your authentic self versus the polished self that you believe is people expect from you or you should be forward and presenting yourself to the world as. And that's difficult because, like, with, with us, it was a sort to me, it was a sort of where that facade, that mask went away, and I saw you for who you were, and you saw me, and there was a little spark of magic there where we just knew that maybe our souls had something in common and we we just struck a lot of interesting conversations right yeah with some people it's easier than with others and and i don't know i've never really been able to figure out exactly why it works when it does but i guess it's just so much of it is trust i guess if you have a measure of trust with the other person then you kind of like you say let down that mask yeah and essentially, that's what my book is about, Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness. And it, it's a teaching memoir of my life. But as you can remember, when we first met, there was that complicated little story of how I, I ended up in Seattle and this difficult life I was leaving behind and all these some tragic things that happened at, in a sequence. But that led me to realize that it sort of never affected me negatively in a way because inside I had a connection to something deeper in myself that kept showing me a better way. That's showing me to, to see life problem, not as problem, but as opportunities to find new ways of flowing with life. And for me, that was okay, starting over, coming here versus there, and making some choices that ended up where Seattle became my home versus California or Georgia and South Carolina, where I was before. And I'm sharing that journey of 20 years, what I kind of joke and call being a wanderer. <laughs> I came here on the, with the intent of like, you know, 
live the American dream and try to build something. And it's been a long process, but in that process, I've never been discouraged. I've just always kept reshaping who I am and where I'm at at life and what I can get done in that moment as I'm moving forward. And this is a prime example because for me, I want to share it with you because I feel like I share that sense of friendship where we met as we're not, I was wearing a hat as tennis teaching professional and I transitioning and transforming from offering that to a much deeper sense of coaching that is life coaching and how you especially deal with the mind and the emotions and that journey that you take within yourself. And it's my ability to actually go through this process and try to be whole about it that I'm sharing in that process. And to be honest with you, why you came to mind with the podcast was because something I took from you was when you would say, you know, speak to me at 23. Oh, yes. My my marathon mantra. We start running and I was like, don't talk to me until we get to 23 because after that, it's just three miles around the Green Lake and I know I'm home. But, you know, my focus is there. It's locked. So swimming in the ocean consciousness for me is I, how do I get my mind, my emotion, my heart, everything aligned as if it was that marathon and I need that 23 miles of solid focus. So from my perspective, what I get from you, I... I from from moment one on the tennis court, I took that positivity and I respond to that personally. And I really enjoyed your instruction and the process that you brought to teaching tennis, which was so positive. And that's the other issue. As you're running this marathon, as you're whatever you're doing, the, these voices are going to crop up. And, and are you going to listen to the negative ones or are you going to just try to stay positive? No, no matter what, and it's a choice that you need to make and stay in the moment and stay positive. And the way to chase those negative voices away is just to kind of, for me anyway, I push them down the road to mile 23 when I know I can handle them. At that point, I know I can handle all the voices telling me how much this hurts when I only have one green leg left to run to get to the finish line. So that was the genesis of that. But it's not just the avoidance of the negative. It's also the choice of being positive. Yes. The first 5K at mile three, when the body starts to react and the breathing is heavy and cramps might kick in and you know, you're just getting started in it. It's like you're saying, you can't ignore the, the monsters of the mind because they're there, but it, it's that you learn to make a choice which ones are you're going to consciously choose to allow to run with you in the first 20 yeah there you go <laughs> like okay guys i'm sorry sam you got a bad attitude dude. you know we're not going out for a run today i'm gonna go johnny over here <laughs> like, but it's like you know today I'm, I'm going with mark and we're gonna do this you know but you know sam over there he, he kicks up a lot of dust all the time <laughs> so. right yeah it's not avoidance it's acknowledgement it's okay to acknowledge those voices and acknowledge the pain. It's, in fact, it's important to do that. Yeah, exactly. But did, don't let them run what you're doing. Yeah, very true. That's the spectrum how I was looking at, at the marathon, that 26 mile as, as your life. It's like if you look at it in segments and as you grow, and that's the transformational points every three miles or so, we, you acknowledge, okay, how much more, where are we at? How are we feeling right now? Okay, what do we need to change to get to the next segment? Should I alter my breathing? Am my pace okay? Can I keep up with it? And you got to keep having those checkpoints in between 
And, you know, it's about finding the joy, like I said, through the difficulty, with the hardship, with the voices, the voices that come from inside and the voices that come from other people telling you doubtful things that you never do this, you can't do that, don't do that, that's not for you. Those are the difficult things we face day to day in life. And that's a transition that is difficult for most people. And that's why I like that analogy of the marathon and the running and the concept of breathing. Because for me, I don't, I don't really release the tension of the body to blend with my breathing, to blend with my thinking process until I get past that first mile into the second mile. Mm-hmm. Then I right. start feeling good about my, my stride and I start feeling loose in the hips. And by the time I get to that second mile ending into the third, beginning the third mile, I feel really good about pushing that last mile to take it to the home stretch in one lap around Green Lake or like the 5K training spectrum of it. But I don't, I don't get that, that comfort zone until I get past that first mile. So some people want to be at the finish of the race without getting that first mile in, which is that getting past the uncomfortable part of learning how to blend. There you go. And just being present, no matter what part of the race you're at, being present for that part. And the other image that pops into my head when you talk about the analogy of running a marathon to life is, a big part for me anyway of any marathon I've run is being in and around the other runners. So I'm constantly kind of looking at the other people that are with me. They may be passing me slowly or I'm passing them slowly, but it's also, it's the people that you encounter along the way too. And and try. Yeah, exactly. And maybe it's a smile or a nod or an acknowledgement or a, you know, a nice work type thing. It obviously, you know, we're not getting into in-depth conversations while we're trying to run the marathon, but there's a lot that is communicated, I guess. Yes. And that, uh, that between runners along the way. Yeah. That they're passing. No. And so uh, you were on vacation, but I told you I, I ran that new year's resolution run and I had that experience because me and Catherine ran it together. We said, okay, we, we were doing an average of 36, 37 minutes on our 5Ks and training, and we know we can push ourselves. And then I started introducing her to, I took her with me to Green Lake a couple times, and then I said, let's try uh-huh. Seward. And with Seward, once we banked the full first 5K, I said, hey, let's change it up, Kat. Let's go up the hill a little bit at the end of the 5K run, push another mile by looping the hill and coming around Seward, so that when we did go back to Green Lake, our flow was a lot smoother and you and I thought about doing some of those exercises on the track where you you challenge the body a little differently so when you do get out there you're you're able to flow a lot better in mile two and mile three and we got into that first resolution run and it was great and we we said we're going to do this but then she wasn't feeling that 100 percent. but she was kept telling me she didn't want to hold me back so I she she, because she realized I was running her pace just to be with her and it's kind of like right. when I started training together, you're really good at just helping me to, to discover the breathing and getting past that. You, you ran your run along me to help guide me through it now where I can kind of push and run better. So I was at a point where I could flow a lot smoother than her and I got ahead of her and I didn't realize it. And I looked back and I couldn't find her and I stopped and then I waited. And when the double moment, there was appreciation from her of me doing that. And then there was also like, no, I told you to go ahead. I don't want, mm, I want, yeah. I want you to wait for me. I want you to have your best run. Go get up. You got it. You got this today. You're feeling it. Go for it. 
Right. And the other side, the, the considerate, kind boyfriend said, no, let's do this together. You and I are going to start this year, year off positive, and I'm not going to make this about me having a better time. I'm going to run with you. That's really interesting. Some of the only regrets I've got of the runs or the marathons that I've done is not finishing with a couple of the friends that I started with. Yeah. So it almost, in retrospect, I feel like it should have been more important to me to finish with the people I started with because it's more fun to do that than to finish five minutes faster on my own. There are some days, and there's, there's something to be said for individual training, and that's how you get better individually. I get that. But, you know, tell Catherine, it's more fun to run with you, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and that's, and that's, and that's why I'm doing it. Mark, that's instead of how I felt about it. Like, I, I've been really working hard leading up to that run and, you know, getting really back on track, running sewer, adding the hills to it. So I was doing three, one, four miles per week with two, three miles a week. We were gauging on it. I knew I could have pushed. And I, like you were talking about earlier, I got a sense of when I pulled away from her, I was now out on my own amidst other runners who I didn't realize was looking at me as a sort of competition and watching my mm-hmm. and if I passed them would try to catch up to me with that and then give me that kind of look like oh I caught back up to you and I like but I was lost to myself just enjoying it like oh wow they're racing here <laughs> like, yeah. you know, all right. nice run, but they're like no you're not gonna get a better time than I am you know and and that's the moment I stopped and I realized, I looked back and the captain was in there and I realized I could have challenged with them or, or gone ahead and see who really, who was the fastest. Can I get a gotten hand of how much minutes or seconds I could have taken from them. But then I chose to say, it wasn't my intention when I got away from her. I just thought she was still behind me because we're used to always having one ahead and one on the heel as we run together. So we don't cause obstructions. We always run one ahead and one on the heel. And I just mm-hmm. stopped looking back for a few minutes. And in those few minutes, I got so far ahead of her because I just was relaxed. And I just I let the legs go and, and they just took me. And that's when other runners took it as a competition. And she was happy because she was seeing me run my best. So like, you know, push myself to do something greater. But I was just relaxed and said, wow, I'm breathing good. I'm feeling good. Let's go for it. Yeah, it's a conundrum, that whole competition thing. I mean, I get it. Of course, every marathon I run, my goal is for it to be maybe a little faster than the last one. And it's hard sometimes not to compare yourself to people that are passing you on the course. But I seem to be a little bit unusual in the running group that I run with because most of them are real type A and they're all about the time and they're faster than I am. You know, there's an enjoyment that comes from that, I guess, too. But for me, I'd rather have fun on a day-to-day basis and enjoy the run, the experience, rather than set everything on whether I make the time or not and who's passing me and who isn't. It's funny because that's natural. It's human. It's kind of what drives you in a way. Yeah. But I feel like it, it just that needs to be tempered with. Look at it like life at the same time. It's like, you know... Are we keeping up with our competition? Are we better than the next guy out there? How, how, you know, how far did you get today? What was better education? Or you have a better job? It's all these could have, should have, and would have. But then in the process, the miles pass us by, the days, the hours, and we don't enjoy those. Right. 
were too much worrying about what John is wearing and how far ahead of me he is and can I catch up to him or am I ahead of him and how far is he behind me and does he even have a chance of catching up? Rather than like you said, for me, it's always about, oh wow, look at that lake. And like, like you said, yeah, right. like that last smile where there's that old tree stump and the tree stump has history to you and it has meaning, but every time you get there, you know, okay, from there, the stands are just around the corner. Yep. So you're right. attuned and alert to those moments in the run so the, your, your best can happen but they're happening in that space that they call the zone because you're still just breathing calm observing the view enjoying the run thinking about something that's calm and you're, just, you're in that place where it's just happening you're not trying to be competitive you're not trying to be faster you're not trying to be anything more than just the run itself yes yep yep that's absolutely true it's tempered with the, especially, I mean, since we're on the running metaphor, it's also tempered with maybe uh, at least once a week, the workout that is just the hard work, that track workout that is all about getting around the track in 90 seconds, whatever it is, 80 seconds and doing intervals and putting in that work and not feeling necessarily good during, but feeling good after that workout that leads to the ability for, like you said, for your legs to just sort of take you and you get relaxed and you get into the zone during the race. So it's a combination, I think. There are times that call for just put your head down and work hard. Um, That kind of leads me to another part of the whole teaching memoir uh, because a lot of... But it is central around that. I was sort of raised by my grandma and she always reminded me that she wanted me to put a man's head on my shoulder. And for her, that meant to keep my head up, look people square in the eye, learn how to speak the truth, stand by the truth, let your first word be your last word, be a man of integrity, a man of dignity, a man of honor and character. And let that be your light that shines to the world that people know you for who you what you are and so in, in those essences it comes down to putting in that hard work once a week is, is the integrity and you have to have to build a better version of yourself there needs to be discipline within nobody can make you do anything that you don't want to do that is relevant to the own shaping or forming of your life that is to be but those are some of those difficult lessons that I took over growing up. Then I, I kind of wanted to share with you as well, because, you know, you have two boys and, and, and you, it's both you and Lara and is being co-parenting and sharing that with the boys and these different, you know, what, but one of the things, Mark, that my grandma told me even in my early teens when I was about your kid's age was that you'll never know how difficult it is for a woman to raise a man. And how mm-hmm. hard I'm trying to make sure you're a good man and you're ready to be an individual, independent man in the world. From a woman's perspective, having to be a woman that's not a man to have to do that. <laughs> and all she had to go off right. her father, who taught her and who raised her, kept her from her mother and get, taught her a lot of things in, in that sense of the way. So she was the one that taught me a lot of structure and, and discipline and basically accountability and responsibility for my own self and actions and words and so forth and deeds. 
And that's why I'm always okay saying, hey, I messed up. That's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm okay being that person that can do that. And also I'm okay going through situations because of her influence in my life and her sharing. And I think when we talked about that one day out of the training of the week where you put it towards building yourself. And it's a spectrum for us using the running as a metaphor for our life itself. There has to be a time of life where we put that difficult time into building who we are and who we want to be in the world and not just think it's going to happen or that someone else is going to just give it to us to open a door and just say, hey, here you go. There's always going to be a learning curve and a process of doing it. And I'm sort of going through that transformation in this process of becoming an author, speaker, life coach, you know, authoring my memoir of my life and all this stuff, sharing and then speaking about it in an inspirational way, hopefully to a great audience one day. (laughs) Which is really exciting. I'm really excited to read it myself. And how lucky you are to have such a wise woman as your grandmother to give you that almost permission you know, yeah, absolutely. Keep your head up and go through life with dignity, but the permission to be who you are and and not put limits on that. Yeah, let you change the direction you're headed appropriately, which it feels like you're doing that, which is really exciting. I had a meeting today with my editor and I was talking, I explained to her in the sense that I realized that in the difficult time going up when the family started to face difficulty as a whole, and my grandma was on the stream with some medical health and stuff and supports. You know, my father wasn't even around, so I was raised by my grandma primarily. My uncle, which was the tennis professional, was the only male I knew in the house that was constant. But after mm-hmm. he was a professional with Macaron, Yvonne Lendl, he got hurt. He came back and started a tennis business on the island with teaching the resorts and running that stuff. So when I was five, six, my grandma used to be running the pro shop and I grew up in the pro shop and he was there. But summers and winters were spent in Europe with my other uncle that was an English professor. And he, from eight to like 14, his idea of entertainment was teaching us Shakespeare and Dante and Milton and Purgatory. And, you know, so I was introduced <laughs> to deep, deep, deep literature and he had a fine way of articulating it and breaking it down and really getting you what Othello was trying to say and the deception within the words. And so I learned from my grandma who learned from her dad that was a Freemason grandmaster who taught her things he probably wasn't allowed to within the, the, the membership. And then she then took that and taught it to me. And then I got this firm hand of my tennis uncle who would smack me around as if it would stop spin if I did something out of line. And then right. with another one that just would teach me chess and he would teach me strategy and he, he felt teaching me to build Legos was building my mind. And then he would introduce me to literature. So from there to about 18 to 20, it was just constant. (laughs) So I'm a bit of a different type of person. People would try to have conversation and my mind would just easily be able to go what we're calling now the ocean of consciousness, like the depths of my perception of my mental is deep because of those things, those life lessons from grandma poetry and Shakespeare at eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, just being taught to it by an actual professor. And then when that ended up happening, he graduated from his studies and became my teacher at school. <laughs> so I, I got a double from him. He expected me to be the best of everything because I was his, you know, 
he was teaching me at home in private, so he felt I should have been top of the class in the mature and everything. And so it was an interesting life I had, I think, in hindsight. <laughs> well, that's it. It's always in hindsight, isn't it? I'll bet it wasn't easy going through it in a lot of ways. Everybody's problems are their own. It, yeah, in retrospect, you had some very good mentors helping you along the way, but it couldn't have been easy. You know, nobody feels like they're normal in quotes. Well, you know, what does normal mean? So it doesn't sound like a, a normal in quotes upbringing, but it sounds pretty wonderful to me. Well, and, and that's um, funny because I, I, I had a conversation. So, well, you know, that's kind of wrong because you know, my uncle would, would smack me in the back of the head with a firm, fast hand, like he was hitting a forehand topspin. But that's just a tennis professional <laughs> reaching out to me two feet from him and right. wanting to enforce that don't make me do it again. So the first one was pretty mm. solid and had top spin on it. I could tell you because <laughs> my head felt it. <laughs> but, you know, so you, you explain to someone like this and they would be like, oh, my God, that's abuse. That's what should not be happening. And, and I, in one sense, I say, oh, wow, yeah, you know, if I, if I grew up like this, it would be like, okay, that's wrong. But for me, it was like, oh, you've got to watch your mouth. Know your place as a child. Don't speak back to adults. You know, have respect for this. And when you step out of line of that, you better expect a firm hand coming from somewhere because you know better. My grandma would always say, you know, you weren't pulled up into the world and jerked up. You, you were brought up properly. You were brought up with, with, with proper manners and dignity. Anyway. So when in public, act proper. Know better. You know better. It's the same energy and focus it, it takes for you to do right, you can do wrong. And you're making a choice. Like you said, you make that choice where you're going to, which of those monsters we're going to let in from the first mile we get out there, we start running. Who are we going to run this one with? Discipline, respectful one or the disrespectful? You know, and that's where my shaping of what was right or wrong came from. I pretty much knew what was right or wrong. And, but I was such a good spirit, I guess, of a, a kid. I, I always walked the right path as much as I could. That's fascinating uh, to have that diversity in your background, if that's the right word. The different influences, I guess, yeah. Yeah, but that's the, the different shaping of it because, you know, like, who was allowed to discipline and who wasn't? Is, is it, and it's like my father was never really around as a man and like a father. And in turn, my grandmother was the one that told him straight up, you're never allowed to discipline him. Don't ever touch him. Mm. If something goes wrong, you, you talk to us about it. Because, you know, you're not wow. his father. I'm the one raising him. My mother herself, you know, was just there, but my grandma did the raising as one of her own. Yeah. So when my father would show up or come around, if he didn't like or didn't like something, he knew straightforward that, you know, he was just sort of visiting. And she was the disciplinary. I remember I'd get in trouble at school and she'd have to come in and the teacher once pulled my ear and like wrung it really hard and it, Caught me to get all red and picked up. I was okay, so that's in the hindsight. I would get back to that, but I would get bullied a lot in school when I was younger. And my only way out of being bullied was to be, make people laugh. Once I realized, once I, I, I could make them laugh, they won't beat up on me every day. And so I got caught in being a clown to a bunch of bullies, and then I got in trouble for it. And then trying to explain, mm. wouldn't understand. And I got frustrated. So I wasn't really trying to be disruptive, but if I wasn't entertaining, I was getting picked on and you're not doing anything about it in the class. And then I got right. and I went home crying and my mom and grandma went to school and they let that teacher know very firmly, you don't ever touch him. 
If he does, right. oh, you call us. Good for them. Let us know what happened. We will deal with it. But you never ever touch him for something, for being a clown or for doing something, especially when he's trying to tell you that reason why he's doing it. Right. Same what fact. a wise and formidable woman your grandmother was. Yes. And so we also hindsight again. Growing up, I didn't see these aspects. I just grew up with it. But now I can look back and I realize, oh, my gosh, people respected her because of who she was and, and the principles she stood by. I mean, from politicians, mm-hmm. high people, they all have respect for her. And I grew up with, in the shadow of that respect and then ended up gaining some of that respect because it was hers. And as I got older, I, re- I recognized that. And then, but that's what she always tried to tell, tell me, you know, God bless the child that has his own. Like, you, you got to build you. You got to build yourself. Don't, don't live in your uncle's shadow. Don't live in my shadow, you know? And growing up was hard because my uncle was at the number one tennis player touring professional in the Caribbean, and it was just always about him. <laughs> so going up, trying to find yourself, you're always compared to him and his shadows or something, you know? And that was difficult for me. That's, I think that's why I kind of went a whole different direction in those 20-year drift. I, I, needed to, I needed to get away from that and find myself in the world and do that. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're headed that direction. So when does the book come out and when can I read it? Nice. So... We're looking at maybe early summer to end of summer. We have a schedule where we're working solid on it. It's going to be the first book to help set up this platform. I really want it to be firm and solid. So in the process of me using the podcast, uh, Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness, as a sidebar to writing it and getting it perfectly, just introducing, like I said, myself in in the speaking realm to be able to speak of ocean of consciousness to my experiences and like how we are now just kind of going back and forth from it and we're hoping for early summer to end of summer for a release and if we're on schedule we might have a a pre-sale on it but i'll let you know and the website should be coming out by early to mid-february launch and we'll have a couple offerings on there where we'll be able to have more of these types of discussions and, and such of content Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Thank you for involving me. No, thank you for participating. And I look forward to having you back again. The idea is uh, we have the outline for the book. So as we go to and write each chapter, we'll have some writings available on the website. And I'll continue to have podcast conversation based off of the outline of the chapter that we're writing at the moment. So we can help to share that development and growth into the book itself okay oh that sounds interesting okay anytime today's conversation based on chapter two and three you know getting into the flow and the the stepping stones in life and and the glass being half full and half empty and what it takes from inside and that's why i referred over to the running it's like you know as a runner the glass is half full or half empty depending on where you are in the race and how you set the the pace of everything right yeah very good yeah, I really enjoyed having you on, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And I will keep you posted as to the book as well as the website release, and maybe the next time we can meet up in the ocean of consciousness. Anytime. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. It was truly a pleasure to be your guide. Please do join us next time for another eye-opening episode. Until then, please remember to thread water lightly and always be kind and loving to self.